Hi everyone! Welcome back to another episode of Apply Club Events, hosted by IASA's Applied Anthropology Network. Today we have the pleasure of listening to James Ingram, the founder of Leave Center and CEO of Splashlight and Telmar, with the topic, Why the World Needs Digital Innovation in Anthropology, and Why UNESCO Joined the Riot. We hope you're going to enjoy this episode, and please don't forget to follow us on our diverse channels like Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Slack, and more, which you can find in the show notes. Um, in a second, Marcus hit a report already. So, um, can I get a verbal cue because now I've kind of uh, lost you. Uh, That's that good. you can see my, thank you, my, my screen. Perfect. So as I said, today is a very uh, special uh, event that we have, uh, not only because we have uh, two very special people joining us, um, but also because we are launching a um, new Apply Club. And so we are kicking off Apply Club for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Uh, the two usual suspects, of course, Marcus and me, um, colleagues, but also we're very happy to have Angela Vandenbroek um, from the US, a colleague with us. And this is going to be a club especially dedicated to topics around why does innovation and entrepreneurship need anthropologists? What we can offer to that sphere and that practice into that world? Um, but also crucially questions around um, how do we innovate anthropology and what can innovation teach anthropologists um, on the other side um, of that coin and that conversation? And so together with our uh, sister uh, club, Apply Club Digi, um, we're very, very excited to be able to present and to introduce to you today our two speakers. Um, James Ingram is an experienced entrepreneur and an executive with a global track record um, in the technology sector and a top leader in the creative and visual arts. Drawing on over 20 years in the business, he began his career in graphic arts at 19, going on to serve as a COO of New York-based um, uh, Fuel Digital Incorporated, a digital advertising company. In 2005, he became CEO of New York-based Splashlight, which is now the leading photography and video provider for retailers and various brands and businesses. Um, in 2019, he combined his, CEO, uh, his role as CEO of Splashlight with the same position at Telmar, a long-established global supplier of advertising and media information software and services. And James has um, just founded um, a new initiative, a new entity, LEAF, um, the LEAF Center, especially a nonprofit organization committed to bringing digital innovation to anthropology. Joining him today is his chief digital anthropologist, Katie Hillier, who has been running Global Digital Anthropology Labs in the innovation consultancy space for more than 10 years. She has a passion for bringing empathy to big data and believes in a future where digital anthropology can become as essential 
as data science across all aspects of society. Amen to that. Today, she's the chief digital anthropologist at the LEAF Center. And um, without further ado, I will turn over um, to our speakers. Um, and James and Katie, welcome. We are really happy that you are here with us today. Oh, thank you. We are really glad to be here. You know, it was nice to meet some of you when we were there or earlier in Prague a couple months ago. And we continue to be so so fond of the work that that you have put together um, to, to make these clubs happen and these organizations happen and, and bring awareness to the power of of anthropology. And it's it's something to be among all of you and and how hard you work and, and what you know. So we uh, we have really enjoyed having a chance to to dive into this this science, and and we we wanted today to kind of take you through what we think um, matters and why we're doing this and, and why this global partnership to advance digital innovation and anthropology is so important to really unleash deeper insights into, into the humanity at the age of this digital disruption we're living in. And, it, and it's really caused disruption. And there's no better science equipped to really study these cultural changes that are happening and, and have be innovated to, so we can do even a, even a deeper job I thought we'd kind of go through the little journey we're going to cover here together today. We'll go through some introductions, a little bit more about Katie and, and myself and how we even got to where we are here talking about this. Um, the Live Center, what it stands for, why we put that organization together, <clears throat> my business partner and I, um, why we need deeper insights. I know I'll be talking to you guys who already agree, but it's nice to review ourselves to show that we're on the same page why we need to do this and then why it needs a digital innovation. Um, we know we need deeper insights, but why do we need digital innovation to go get those deeper insights? And why did UNESCO join up? What, what's their part and what are they doing and how are they making a difference in, in bringing this to happen? And then I thought just Katie's going to run a brainstorming session uh, and, and, and hopefully we provoke some topics, some thoughts. Katie's very good at facilitating and bringing ideas out. And we'll get everybody involved in that and then uh, and then a recap uh, of, of what we've been doing. So let's go to just some introductions between uh, myself and Katie. I, um, as mentioned, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I have uh, experience kind of starting in graphic arts and then ending up realizing I wasn't good at being a creative. And, and I was much better at understanding how business of creative ran. And uh, my career did, did, did well that way. And then ultimately wanted to run something and own something. And I ended up at Splashlight, which is uh, one of the leading uh, photography and video companies for e-commerce. So when you shop online, you see those pictures of the models and the clothes. We're creating those pictures by the, by the millions uh, here in the US for some of the biggest brands in, in the world. But that actually led us to anthropology, believe it or not. And I'll tell a little bit of that story. What we were doing is we were trying to understand why the images were working or not working so we could make better images. What model should we put? What's the creative? And we were realizing that this qualitative style of data was very hard to, to get and to match it up with the image and then the consumers that are buying online. So we had uh, come up with some technology 
that let us embed a genome in the image of the qualitative and quantitative data found in an image. And then when we began going to data scientists and say, okay, help us interpret this data, we found a pretty significant gap in their ability to help make sense of the qualitative data as it refers to a behavior, like why are they behaving that way? And so we, we struggled. And then in, in, in thinking about how we got there, we realized that we're, we're understanding people. And across the US is a very different dynamic of people. And we weren't, because of the way the customers run, able to know exactly the person, but we could put it by groups. And that led us to realize it's really villages. We were looking at villages or cohorts of people, but we were calling them villages. And so we're like, okay, well, who studies the behavior of villages? There must be. And we realized, okay, that's anthropologists. They study the culture of villages. And so we said, okay, so digitally, could we make the same comparison? Could we say, since we're protecting privacy, not knowing exactly who the people are, but they belong in this digital village, could anthropologists study these digital villages? Since we were putting this data together, we didn't realize we we're actually putting some computational uh, ethnography kind of data together. And we really struggled because digital anthropologists at the time were really focused on a product, how the product fit in their hand or, or UX design, and then the kind of data were coming. And so we, we wrote a paper, a case for digital anthropology to do deeper analysis of, of people here. Images were a universal language. And at the same time, there was an opportunity to buy another technology company that then could maybe use the, the science and understand globally. And so then we got it looking at uh, anthropology at a deeper level. And it really touched me. We began to realize, yeah, it started as how do we make better looking pictures to realizing that we have a real problem in, in the world and that digital has changed things all over the world. And it was because I'm an entrepreneur, you look for ideas and then you say, okay, how do we fix that idea? And that's just what you, how you think. If there's a problem, let's just band together and fix it. And so in doing that, I took the entrepreneurial skills to realize there's a really big, and we'll get deeper into it, there's a really big need. So the businesses were in a position that they could be run by some good leaders and I could volunteer my time to make this nonprofit happen. And we went to UNESCO, we'll talk about that, and found out massive support for understanding the digital transformation society is going into. So that's kind of why I'm here. Well, I, I am an entrepreneur in what I had to learn, but I realized in, in this journey that there is an incredible science of anthropology that if it had some newer tools, in addition to what they already have, we could make impact in the world at a pace and scale how the data scientists are and actually make the society a better world. And so that's, that's this journey. We'll go deeper into it. But that's a little bit about me and, and kind of how I got here. Um, so Katie, how about your, your journey a little bit? Yeah, wonderful. Well, hi, everyone. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so I'm a digital anthropologist and have been running, as Laura mentioned, digital anthropology labs for over 10 years in the innovation consultancy space. I got my master's and at the time was called online communities because no one was talking about calling it digital anthropology at the time. Um, but I was sort of obsessive about how do you understand people in these new worlds and these new environments, new behaviors. 
And so the reason I ran labs for so long in the innovation world is because there wasn't one methodology or technology that was that used the principles of anthropology to study behavior. So we were constantly blending different types of methods together to sort of understand how humans interacted in the digital space, um, both observing them and thinking about all those layers of observation. Um, and so after a while, over time, I met James and we had a very similar passion around the technology for anthropologists to do and understand these digital worlds just wasn't there. Um, and there was a real big opportunity to think about uh, digital innovation for anthropologists designed by anthropologists for anthropologists um, as a future. And that's definitely something I'm incredibly passionate about, especially when you think about the ethical needs from an anthropological level in these technologies. It's incredibly important to us um, and something that we're incredibly passionate about, which is why um, the Live Center also has been brought about. So my background, I'm incredibly passionate about sort of bringing empathy to data. As Laura mentioned, I really believe in how do we bring that thick data to big data, the human context, the deeper meaning behind that and finding technology as a tool to help us get there. Not a replacement, obviously, of ethnography, but an additional um, benefit and value that I think will work as we start having much more diverse experiences in the digital spaces. How do we design tools that allow us to understand that? So that's a little bit about me. I could nerd out for hours, but let's get to the meat of the conversation. So I'm just going to advance us a little to the next. All right, so let's let's give a little background on on the Live Center and why we we put this vehicle together. Um, it's a, it's a nonprofit, and uh, obviously you do a nonprofit so that you can go raise additional donations, and that that money goes to get very transparently goes into uh, right into the cause. And in this case, uh, that that flows into UNESCO, so it's all transparent and open. We'll talk about that. But what we did, we're just committed to bringing this digital innovation to anthropology. And I think what's interesting about this, and I wanna make a point is when we first started doing this, we saw it as digital anthropology. And then we did a lot more work even in the past few months and saw so much opportunity in it's really the digital tools used by all anthropologists because so all of us live in, in so many digital influences. And, and we'll talk about why, but what we were after, if we could innovate the digital side of anthropology, new tools for ethnography and anthropologists to really understand us deeper, um, at this pace and scale of data science, the leaders will use it more readily. There'll be an economy around anthropology, a larger economy, because it will have a, a real-time practice. It, it, and so I will get deeper into what that means. But overall, the Live Center is a nonprofit committed to bringing digital innovation to anthropology. And uh, we, we, we're here, we volunteer, we're looking for more help. And this, this organization that you guys belong to, uh, we're really proud to be here and to be able to spread this, this ideas and, and talk. So let's move on to more, like why we need deeper insights. And... Again, I know I'm talking to, to all of you and, and you're far more versed at, at why we need deeper insights th than I am. Uh, but I, look at me saying these things in a humble way as a way of showing we're on the same page. N not because any of you are gonna learn something from these insights, you know them very, very well, but use this as a way to see that we're, we're aligned. And if we're not aligned, that's why the question and answer at the end is so key 
so you can help help us shape the message so it's as accurate as possible, as impactful as possible. So what we we, we worry really when we dig into this, that our our the effort and the time it takes to adjust to what's happening digitally. It, it's, and to us to understand it, make sense of it, is actually happening at a slower pace than it's actually happening because change in the world is happening so fast. And I know I'm not the only one worried about this. Everybody's worried about this because it changes the landscape of society, it changes laws, it's changing how we live, it's changing cultures. Uh, and I think the biggest thing that has me worried is, is how technology is changing at a faster pace at almost ungoverned. And, and it's out there making change in, in, in our world. Look at what social media is doing in, in, in a breeding ground for some conspiracy theories, or you look at the un, un, unregulated algorithms that, that, are, that are creating inequalities. You look at new platforms that create forms of expression that, that are out there changing people and how we think. The pandemic, we can see what it, it paused uh, the physical world, but accelerated the digital adoption globally which is gonna have an effect. So e even the social media, the, the, um, in the healthcare crisis, we, we look at the scientific credibility is eroding because the way algorithms are pushing facts around and they're undone. Um, the speed of innovation is really going so fast, we can't even keep up as people to, to what's happening to us. And really it, it, it rises and, and even it's being used to change governments to create movements, good and bad. So all of this disruption, it's, it's stressing the fundamental structures of society. And the science of anthropology has been that steward of, of analyzing and understanding the changes in society and culture and creating very informative work and using that work to, to make a difference. So let's go to the next one, but it's changing what it means to be human. Look at the metaverses that are coming up and what it's gonna to mean to be human and to be in a metaverse and, and how we're gonna operate in there. And there's a whole nother things we can talk about. So while we're investing these trillions of dollars are being invested in these digital platforms and digital communities and experiences, there's a shockingly small amount being invested into understanding the social dynamics, the cultural identities, the biases these new communities and technologies are creating and changing. So this is why deep, insights are needed, but at different kind of insights. We talk about insights, these are, these are the why insights because big data can tell us a lot, but there are things it cannot tell us about humanity. You know, look at, look at the conspiracy theories. Why do these communities embrace lies and distrust evidence? Why? Why do the developers systematically overlook biases in, in the algorithms? Or why are these conditions getting worse in our communities around mental health conditions because of what's happening and, and how we're working? Why? Now we can conduct studies and, and studies are being conducted right now uh, by anthropologists, but there's aspects of society that are gonna be difficult to truly analyze and ethically protect privacy. It's a real challenge. It's something we have to innovate. We're not exactly sure how that can all happen. And when you consider this change, um, if, and if we, if we roll to, to the next one, to build a better world because of the technological forces that are at play here, we must close this knowledge gap 
of what's happening culture, clearly why it's happening, and empower leaders to act swiftly to design these policies and regulations that are sensitive to the needs of our communities. But it's gonna take some additional tools. And I use this illustration about an MRI. When you think of an MRI and how an MRI fundamentally changed the power of science to look inside the human body non-invasively. Because for us to do that, which on the, on the left, we must understand the effects of the digital transformations on our changing cultures and how that interacts across all these platforms and countries and, and, and societies. Getting deeper insights into why cultures and communities are changing. Beyond what big data insights, the where, the what, the when, but really the, the, the why. That's where the deeper insight when we refer to it is going to come from. And providing the, these change makers with faster indicators of the why. Doing a traditional ethnographic study of why is going to be more accurate than ever if we came up with some form of computational ethnography. But an early indicator is like that MRI. Sure, it's more accurate to actually open up the body and take a look at what's really going on inside. If it's a brain tumor or something, it's, you're going to get more data if you actually go inside. But think of the benefits of that early warning MRI is to science. And that's what we're saying here. We've got to find, we've got to innovate a way to get these early indicator whys so this science has the same power as data science. Because when data science identifies something, they can put more resources to understanding it, right? And if you have the why data, they can put more anthropological resources into it because it's an awareness factor. So deep human insights are so key. And I'm blending into why we need the innovation. Because when you think of why, why can't we just use regular anthropology to study the impact of the tech platforms that are happening or cultural things going on in culture? Because it changes by the minute. It changes by the month. It changes by the week. And it's permeating across paths that a traditional ethnographic study of 14 months, 18 months, it's too long. Things have come and gone already by then. So when we talk about why the Live Center believes digital innovation in anthropology needs to happen, we'll go to, we'll go to the next slide, you'll see. Our global over-reliance on big data creates these enormous ethical blind spots in the needs of our communities. And I don't think anybody on this call is going to argue with that. That's happening. I met with the founders of a, of a, of a company uh, called Red Associates. Some of you may know about them and their advocacy of anthropology and using and solving business problems. And he wrote a book about this, about um, uh, how the humanities need to rise up to help create this. So there's a blind spot building. The numbers cannot reveal the full spectrum of community behaviors, of values, of the needs, emotions like fear and, and love and vulnerability and trust. They're not easily turned into numbers. And all of you know that. Yet they're essential to understanding our cultures. And these critical decisions that are, that are made without proper knowledge of a community and culture, public policies are made, uh, laws or businesses just starting and, and pushing out change, content getting put up, 
So big data, because it alone misses that context, it's leading to missed opportunities and invisibly perpetuate the bias and inequalities and negative effects that are going on in the world. And it's serious. And anthropologists have had this tradition, this well-honed methods to study communities. And it's an ideal mindset to fill these blind spots. You all think differently. You don't think like an engineer. And anthropology by definition is really the study of, this, of human cultures. And that's what we're talking about. There's these digital cultures that are taking place. And it's distinctive because of the, the tradition, the honed methods, the study, the way to go about it, the way you connect the narratives to the identities. And we're not advocating any of that change. That's why we're here, because of how brilliant this kind of study in community and culture works. And many across these public and private sectors still associate anthropology with studying the past, however. They don't realize anthropologists study everything from what's happening in like rising extremism to global mi migration to even future studies. They don't see it like that. They, there's a, they, they forget, they don't even understand. And then this, this cultural relativism is gonna be so key to what's going on because in a way, data and technology is creating broader cultures that have new influences that they, than they ever had before. And it's designed to keep those in check. So how do we innovate? How do we find digital tools in addition to the traditional tools that allow thick data to come in at the speed and scale they're getting big data? Because this thick data is the key. That's where the innovation around a tool for, for anthropologists, designed by anthropologists, kind of come from. The numbers and statistics, but we need context the emotions, the stories, the pictures, the observations, the tone, the silence, all that blends that thick data. That's that qualitative data. That's the data that when you go way back to why I'm here, we were having trouble using data science to figure out with images. And, it, and that's what led us here. But to bring more thick data to big data, we need innovations. We have to find a way, how can ethnography go quicker? How can ethnography find, feed, and, and have data that's populated in those data lakes so we can develop these ethical algorithms together and open source that out and get this information out there? They need more innovative tools to study digital life, but at that same pace that the data is being generated. Imagine we live in a metaverse you see what's going to go down in the metaverse. There's so many things that are mirrored what real life is. That data is going to go into a data lake. And how do we use that data? How do we computationalize the qualitative sides of that so that we can, we can move it? And we make this illustration here about genetic sequencing. The fact that that technology had come up and the pace of that, that let us keep up with this virus because the way we could sequence sequencing uh, genetics, it unlocked the ability to kind of keep up. And when you think about the parity of the digital world spreading at a pace and a scale, I don't want to call it negative like a virus, it just spreads and it permeates. What tools 
in ethnography do we have that help you as the scientists analyze that and to feed that information back to leaders in public policy and look at that. That's the capabilities we got to find because data science has that capability. Data science can, can find ways and that's why the engineers are having such power and there's such an economy around it, around the engineering community. And we've got to make change here for that same. Let's go to the, the next one. So if we don't bring digital innovation to anthropology, global decision makers will continue to depend on big data alone for cultural insight because they have to go fast. They have to go fast. They can't wait for studies to come out. And all it does is perpetuate the spread of bias across data systems, across our architectures, about structures, about global solutions, all just have one bent, what data science can tell them. We're not saying data science is bad. We're saying it needs additional data alongside that contextualized data. So let's go to the next one. So how did, how did UNESCO get involved? Well, if we talk about what we did, how in the world am I supposed to make a difference? How is James Ingram possibly, who am I, literally, who am I to say, okay, those are the issues, now let's go make change. When you look at things, just like in, in, in business, you have a certain amount of money and it has to go a certain, only so far. So when you look at the economics of creating a movement, when you look at the economics of creating and spreading a message, it takes a lot of marketing dollars and it takes a lot of credibility and it takes a lot of that. So because of speed, we said, let's go to UNESCO. It's independent. We can put uh, the donations in there. It's tracked. We can open source and hopefully they'll agree that I have a global network. So we went to UNESCO and we positioned what we were going to do. Actually, yeah, you can go to, you can go to the next slide, Katie. And, and we saw they have a passion for culture. They have a passion for making sure it's preserved. And they do it in different ways, whether it's buildings or other things they worry about. But they also have a whole area around understanding the cultural effects of the digital transformations in society. And that's what we talked about. And they agreed to back this initiative. And actually, they're so excited about it. The leadership of UNESCO called it their most essential project that's happening at UNESCO globally right now. Your science, you as the scientists of anthropologists are their single most important project UNESCO is working on globally. And that's the digital innovation of this science. So they've backed way in. And why is it? We had three things. First, it, it was in order to respond to this the, the nations are asking for this. You see this taking place and they're trying to understand peace is not going to be established if we have bias going on. And what's interesting, war is made in our minds. Peace is also made in our minds. And so if we can continue to educate and use that, that's what UNESCO is standing for. And when you look at by its mandate, UNESCO has the responsibility to serve as a forum for uh, innovation ideas or in, um, instruments uh, that change policies for deeper understanding of the human and social life. So it matched in with one of their needs. And third, as culturals change because of digital transformation, we need to understand its effects on human behavior. 
and its interaction across all the digital platforms. So it fit into their core initiatives they were working on. And one very important point, not only did they agree to the partnership, they agreed that anthropology would be used alongside all the projects to validate its effectiveness. And so we're the first project to innovate the method of change at UNESCO in addition to making change. And why is that important? Because sometimes UNESCO has a reputation of maybe not being the most innovative, of maybe being a little bureaucratic or maybe moving a little too slow. So by them humbly saying, okay, we got to innovate, we got to change. They put new leadership uh, there, we're working with Gabriella. There was a video about her when we were there in Prague and we are innovating. So not only if you help and get involved, are we innovating this science, innovating how UNESCO operates. And there's three key things that we're trying to bring through this. Technology tools, we know we talked about that. Academic, academic curriculums, interdisciplinary synergies need to happen. I know uh, it's interesting, a little side story. My, my daughter just graduated with a degree in computational journalism. So she writes Python code. She's also a humanities and an English major. And it was a struggle for her because she doesn't really like math, but she knew to be a modern day journalist, you need the ability to extract data and write your own Python code and analysis in addition to traditional journalistic skills. And, and so the academic curriculum around anthropology needs to be brought into those additional data sciences that are coming in. So as these tools come out, they're equipped to use these tools, they're equipped to understand them. And the third, um, Super important thing is global awareness. Like what these clubs are doing, creating awareness around the power of anthropology. We're using the global messages, the global capability of UNESCO to advocate at the highest levels around the world for the power of this science and that what innovation will do. So let's go to, go to the next one. So this was interesting. And we asked this by what if, what if you could? Okay, and, and this is, I guess, why an entrepreneur is here. Entrepreneurs, we believe if anything's possible, and anything is possible. If you put enough effort into it, if you innovate enough, anything is possible. Because inequality has reached unprecedented levels with more than 70% of the global population living in countries where the wealth gap is growing. And that's scary. And a lot of the wealth concentrations happening because of tech and because of where the data is coming from. And we're not protecting our privacy and we're using this data without getting paid for concentrating wealth. But what if you could improve the efficiency of policies to reduce inequalities by rapidly adopting them to local context, daily life, practices and experiences of physical and digital communities? What if you could accelerate the advancement of social programs communicating in a way that different groups in, in society will understand and support that because they're sensitive to their emotions and their stories and their myths and their narratives? What if you could discover the integrational cultural dynamics that when these inequalities that have historically been rejected, but that are emerging from the digital transformation? What if you could innovate with public policies aimed directly to address these citizens' needs. 
with, with these insights capturing using cutting edge observation methods that protect our privacy ethically in the digital world, equipping leaders with that ability. Well, I'll tell you, it's possible. And it's possible because we're gonna do it together. There is nothing humans can't do if we put our minds to it. And it's time we in this science do it. We can do those things and we can do it quickly. And we're gonna unify this global conversation and we're gonna accomplish it. I'm telling you, we will do it. And it's gonna surprise us all of what happens. So let's go, to the, let's go to the next here. So thinking about that, getting stirred up, if we're gonna go into any kind of brainstorm here, let's first come to the mindset we're humans, which means anything is possible. We can do it. We just have to put our focus together. So thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to that. I'm going to turn it over to Katie and uh, we'll take it from there. Thank you so much, James. And um, I think I, I think there will probably be lots of questions and answers. So I just want to sort of anchor us. I'd love to do um, a, a brainstorm right now, just sort of, as James mentioned, part of you know, we don't have all the answers in terms of how we're going to achieve this. What we want to do is create open source collaboration. That's really the principle at the heart um, of this partnership and this nonprofit. And as a symbolism of that, we'd love to do a little bit of a brainstorm to say, what's on your mind um, when you think about this? And then we'll do a Q&A after the brainstorm to have questions for James and myself or about the partnership, et cetera, or to have conversations. So, um, what we'd love to do, so I think in the chat, everybody should have a link to this document as a one pager. What we wanna do is take five minutes, everyone take five minutes of downtime and think about these three questions. And these three questions, each of them has a link at the bottom where we can share answers in an open source um, document so we can sort of share thinking. But the questions related to this conversation are, the first one is, what kind of digital innovation could, act, could help applied anthropologists study digital life? As I mentioned earlier, in my previous life, I found that there weren't a lot of technologies designed from the anthropological mindset. Um, and there was a hole in terms of what's missing. So one of the provocative questions, let's say, is if you had this magic wand, what would a new magical technology allow you to do? We don't know what, what the technology is, but what would you want as an anthropologist to be able to understand about humanity in digital life um, that isn't as easy to get from some of the everyday digital diary, let's say, um, methods that we have out there. So the first one is that question. There's a link at the bottom to add your thoughts into a document that we can then talk about. The second question is, obviously new innovation tools must be designed with strong ethical guidelines. As a cornerstone of what makes this incredibly important, ethics needs to be at the heart of anything that anthropologists are going to be using from a technology perspective. So we need to really understand and get inspired by who is doing this really well in the world. Who in the world in terms of ethical tech is really understanding how to protect privacy, how to protect bias um, and or understand bias um, and get inspired as a group around what are we seeing around that? Again, because as a group, I think collectively there'll be more insight around this um, than as individuals. And there's a link at the bottom to share thoughts in an open source document. And then the third question, oops, um, 
is what people or companies or influencers or organizations are already thinking about digital innovation um, in anthropology when it comes to technology. There are so many people in the world thinking about this in completely different industries in anthropology. There's data scientists thinking about it. There's philosophers thinking about it. They don't even use the same words as we're talking about. But what we want to do is try to unearth you know, the, the, the people that are influential in this space and have a conversation and bring them into a larger consortium um, to really solve this um, from an, excuse me, from an innovation perspective. So what I'd like to do, I think it is um, take the next five minutes and download the document in the chat that has all the links and the three questions. And we want you to just take five minutes of quiet time, think about it. No answers are wrong answer. This is more to spark conversation, land some of your ideas, and we're gonna come back together, talk about it, um, and then do a Q&A at the end. Okay, I thought we could just jump in now. I know not everyone's not done, but I thought we would just keep the energy flowing. That was just a starter direction. Um, but I wanted to just open it up. I know we have a, a large group and I know breakouts are usually common, but we kind of organize this around a larger group discussion. So I just wanted to open it up to everyone um, in the club around, you know, the first question around what kind of digital in innovation could help you study digital life today and any ideas or thoughts on that just to sort of spark a conversation. What are you using that you love? Um, what, could, what would you invent if you could? Or anything, any, anything they wish they would be able to do. Um, it doesn't actually have to be an idea, but what would you be, like to be able to understand that is difficult right now in a digital space? Yep, um, I see a hand raised. Hi. Um, Hi, everyone. Hi. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm just going to say that I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an engineer and I'm an, also an anthropologist. So when James said that, uh, you don't think as, as engineers, I was like kind of laughing to myself because I think in fact, the actual uh, way of thinking is very similar. So that's something that, it, that I think it needs to be broken, like all these uh, discipline uh, barriers between uh, different uh, disciplines. And this, this is the first thing. And this, the, so, and this is also related to the question because I don't think that they, let's say that they disconnected behavior is very, is unrelated to the digital behavior. In fact, uh, I just got my PhD. And before that, I went to, I mean, during my PhD, I went to Argentina. And it, it was just before the pandemic. And it was very interesting because I didn't believe that uh, Argentina was a, a country with so many people, let's say, believing in paranoid uh, conspiracy, conspiracies and all these kind of things. So, uh, and this is, this is important because maybe in Mexico it's, it's the same thing. I'm from Mexico, but just the way, I mean, just the action of being in another country, it just gives you a different perspective of what is happening. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was very interesting because when the pandemic uh, began, uh, even my professors in Argentina were like posting like things like, I cannot believe that Argentinians uh, are believing this kind of, of false narratives and all these kind of things. But I mean, I was like, yes, I mean, I, I was living there and I saw that happening already. So the first thing I would say, uh, we should stop like thinking about like two different worlds because they are not disconnected at all. So that, that would be my thing. And my my input over here and also 
I don't know if it's a digital tool, maybe like, let's say uh, a smartphone that I can actually record like what people are writing and uh, maybe with uh, neuroscience, maybe understand what's the really thinking behind that. Because also a lot of people are just writing these kind of things just, just for fun. I mean, I saw that. I just saw people like imagining like all these conspiracy theories and just writing all this stuff like to see and saying like, let's see if just people are- payment. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Just like people are really stupid to believe that. And they were just so amazed that uh, with that reaction, for instance. And there are also people who actually believe that. So that's one of the things that we have to understand. Like if they are really thinking uh, those uh, theories or maybe just, and they don't even believe that, but they are just provoking people. So maybe just, I don't know, like neuroscience, like a smartphone connected with, uh, to brain react, uh, to measure brain reactions or something like that. I don't know. Interesting, the mobile phone. Because like in, in, in here, in the chat, they're talking right now about uh, access to, to technology, whereas uh, phones are a little bit more prevalent, but yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really, and I, I love that. I completely agree in terms of like, there is like such a connection and we need to find a way to break down some of these walls so that we can allow that collaboration, right? It's like, if, if we could bring these two minds together, there could be such incredible insight um, available, right? It's almost like we're just, we're all, we don't have all the full senses activated in terms of our understanding, but they complete that, um, I think. Yes. And, and just the last thing, I, I, for instance, just where, while writing my PhD thesis, I was asked not to cite anything from econom economical, economic behavioral sciences. Uh, I was also asked not to include anything about psych psychology. Hmm. And so just imagine that, I mean, I mean, I'm an engineer and I was amazed that uh, at least in, in the institution where I got my PhD, they were also like still thinking about like disciplines that do not connect to each other. Right. Yeah. The silos are, yeah. And I think that's a huge principle of, of opportunity and innovation, right? You think about innovation and innovation is about breaking down silos, forcing collaborations where some of the best ideas come about. So I, um, I'm very excited to hear about that is like more of just another sense of momentum about opportunity of, of, of what needs to happen. Um, Lu, I see another hand raised. Um, Lulia, is, is that how, I'm sorry if I pronounced your name in uh, Yeah, it, no problem. It's Yulia, it's a first I, yes. Me too. Uh, um, yeah, what I was thinking about the, what kind of digital innovation is needed for applied anthropologists conducting study nowadays, I was thinking, in their traditional way, how we collect the data and and analyze the data, it's great, but we are missing nowadays this huge amount of statistical data, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we're getting produced and we, when we want to include that, we really need to learn to deal with that and something like a looker, for example, right? Uh, to just to grab that and make sense of it and not to put on a side because it's it's uh it's very important and of course like for me i took as well the course in python but it's more or less worth like 
to to um, note that I will use that because I it's more like to get empathetical a feeling for the people for developers working together on the project so I'm not gonna do that but not to dismiss the point that this um, the urgent need to bring into analysis this statistic not that it will rule the the whole study but it's very important nowadays and it's really uh, yes difficult to do that honestly yeah, for myself. I think it's a really interesting point, right? And that's almost, again, why the collaboration is needed. Do we need to be experts in both of those or do we need to ask the right questions of each other in different ways to look at the data potentially differently? Laura, I see your hand raised again. So, and I know there's a lot of things in the chat, so I'm terrible at multitasking. So I might lean in um, to, uh, to the group, to Simon, to maybe help bring up some of the questions on the chat as well. But Laura, go ahead. I just wanted to, well, first of all, to thank you for, for a really provocative uh, 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 talk and set of questions. And I actually really love the first one. So I wanted to throw in my, uh, my two cents on that one, because of course, um, one thing that James, you focused on a lot was the speed of the indicators and the speed of ethnography. And of course, that was one of the, that, that's, that's been a, a, a long standing concern um, lately. But um, the other thing that I think if I had a magic wand that doesn't get discussed quite so often uh, when we discuss digital innovation in and for anthropology um, is the missing sensory experience because mm. um, um, uh, traditional ethnography is, very, uh, is a very embodied uh, kind of exercise and, and way of knowing um, and so and of course, this is this is another uh, big discussion, perhaps that we we obviously don't have time today. But um, in this shift um, online, on living online, um, some senses are deprivileged or flat out not involved. Right? Uh, I mean, all of us are currently immersed in different kind of you know. Perhaps some people are. Uh, in a warmer climate, uh, some are summer in the morning, some in the evening. This this has a different effect on on the way that we we approach the world, right? Even though we are in this together, and so the magic wand that uh, if I had it, what would be the technology that uh, enables me uh, to do digital ethnography in a more sensory way that does not privilege so much just the visual. Um, because then the way that the senses interplay um, is important in traditional ethnography. So I'll just shut up there, but uh, also uh, Katie, you're right, there's so much going on in the chat um, that I haven't been able to read through all of that, but um, would anyone just perhaps um, jump in or Dominica, I see your, your hand is raised. So perhaps we go to you and then uh, we can, you and I catch up on the chat. Okay. Uh, all right, so um, uh, uh, can you hear me, Anna? Can you see me? Uh, so uh, so uh, I, I've been wondering, uh, to me, it doesn't seem to be um, about the tool. It's actually we don't have enough knowledge about how the digital tools work and what's the impact on our perception and sensors. 
So if we conduct, when we conduct uh, digital research, we, we consider the um, tools we use and the, um, the, the technology we use as transparent. So when we speak now, we don't think, uh, we don't usually think that uh, we, this is mediatized. And I don't think that there is enough knowledge uh, about uh, how the um, video, how the sound works and, and uh, how it works with our, on our perception. So uh, to me, it, it wouldn't be about what tools we use, but about more research on how we interact uh, with each other digitally and how, uh, what are the biases um, uh, in uh, digital contact. I think that's, that's a really good point. And I think on some level, you know, sort of that's sort of the separation is sort of understanding the interactions and the digital space and how people are operating and cultures are changing. And then the digital tool is just the interface to get more of those lenses, right? Because right now we don't have enough insight into studying that, right? Um, or it's difficult or it takes a long time. So I, I think it's almost two sides. They influence each other um, in my mind. I don't know, James, do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I think what we're saying, what we're concerned about, there's, there's the traditional style of studies and what needs to be studied, it, it needs to continue. You know, anthropology doesn't necessarily need to be innovated to study um, just some of the things that are going on in the world. It, it, it continues to do an incredible job of that. What we're saying is there's certain behaviors among leaders of making decisions without this kind of data in an early warning case. There's situations where technology is changing cultures um, and it's, it's not necessarily about how the physical world is touching the digital world, but in the digital world, in it, uh, the, the digital natives, so to speak, you kind of become a different persona in there. You, you, you can become somebody different and, and how that changes what you do. So what we're advocating is that like there was a time when there was more, there's less people that really fully understood so much of the world is understood now, but this new world. That the, that the digital is creating is changing behaviors. And how do you get qualitative um, data ab about that at a speed and scale? So I think that that's what we're emphasizing uh, as, a, as an opportunity and challenge. Simon, I see your hand raised. Do you wanna um, share your thoughts? Yeah, many thanks uh, for mentioning me and many thanks for <laughs> seeing the hand for being raised. Um, just to, to say that um, I really enjoyed the talk and really enjoyed the provocation and the questions that are posed here on the slide. The, the other thing I want to move on to is maybe something about the tradition of anthropology and how it might even be dissolved in the next step. Hmm. And that's the thought that I have been pressing on a lot regarding the digital because we still don't know how, for instance, um, with, the, with the current digital infrastructure that we have that is, is too disembodied to be fully within the purview of anthropology, so to speak, or it's not 100% compatible to anthropology because we are real um, taught um, to use every um, embodied faculty that we have to comprehend cultures. And still what we see right now is that most of the technology we possess is still too Carthesian. Maybe phones are an exception because they also keep in mind our um, appropriate exception to a certain extent. 
but personal lab, personal computer is the thing that we use on a daily basis and are, you know, comprised most of the productive time in professional spheres. They're still too cerebral, so to speak, or they count too much on this, how do you say that? This, this, this interaction with, um, with the cerebral, so to speak. So then I wonder, um, is anthropology in that sense, if technology is not to move along, is it just going to disappear or maybe it just going to dissolve as maybe, maybe I'm not, I'm not going to make any comparisons, but isn't, is, isn't just going to be a means to further um, go into certain avenues of research to set up lines of inquiry and to ask the, uh, the right questions? That's what I wonder. So it, will it be just a method? Will it be a tradition and will the discipline just disappear? It's interesting. What one thing, if you, Katie, if I could I could add to that, that line of reasoning is something that we've been thinking about. We've been talking about, and the reason we talk about it is we watch what's happening in data science. Data science, um, there's tools now that are allowing non-data scientists to do data science work. It's automated, so you have professionals that are doing data science. And what we were realizing when we talk about this, Katie talks about this often, is that the tools that are going to get innovated, it's like a surgeon. He's not a radiologist, but you know, he uses the MRIs too. He looks at them too. He's well, he's not a trained radiologist. Many times he'll say, okay, well, we've got to defer to the radiologist for something specific. There will probably be innovative tools that are made that allow people who are not anthropologists to do anthropology of a, in a way because of the kind of tools that, that are going to come out. Uh, I, I, just watching what happened in data science, we're, we're, we're seeing that it, that's what technology tends to do. Yeah. And I mean, I also, you know, I think the private sector for a long time has been taking some of the methods of anthropology and applying them right into private sector work in from an ethnography to an interview. And I, I don't have a perfect answer because I can't see into the future, let's say, but I think um, you know, it's interesting to think about what it means to be a an anthropologist, right, in the future, and whether it's something that can be adaptive and opened up to more people or more interpretations um, from a technology or from a tool perspective, let's say, to um, uh, a method perspective. I think it's a provocative question, right? Um, where is the, is there a line? Do we create a line? Does it become something else? Um, it's an interesting to see think about how that might evolve. Yes, but but do, do you think that it, there is something uh, such a just digital life? Because life, oh, I mean, uh, if, if, there, if, if even if there is this metaverse, will never be just digital because as long as the, yeah. there are people be, behind this holograms, there's okay. not such a thing as digital life only. But, but, but so, do you think there's such a thing as digital culture? That's just digital culture. This is a different thing. The, like the, there's a digital culture, but uh, it's um, uh, like it, it's within the regular culture. It's part of the like the entire world, right? Do you think that it's because of how easily it can permeate across borders, across religions, across languages? that you have a diffusion that digital culture does affect physical culture, such as disruptions that happen in Arab Spring and things here. 
that actually changes physical cultures too. I don't think that there is something as a, a, a now. I don't think that there is something as such a digital culture and physical culture. There's not such a thing as digital world and physical world. There's there's one world and there's one experience. So uh, if you if you want to just study digital life um, at this moment, you cannot do it. So let's say that there is metaverse and in the metaverse there are people who are dead. If, like uh, in like in the physical life, right? So like they, this doesn't exist, but there's there will be always behind uh, someone behind this data. So there the, there will never be such a thing as digital life only, like yeah. a parallel world which you can uh, research on. Well, I, I mean I agree with that. I mean I think on some level like today you're studying all of the different layers of someone's life, right? We have multiple dimensions of how we we have dimensions in the physical world, in the digital world, and trying to understand all of them is important, right? If we don't look at their digital life, we miss something. We don't look, to your point, at their physical life, we miss something, right? I'm not so sure, though, honestly, is, is because bots are a thing, and it's, it's, it's designed, and they're learning, and they change themselves. Um, Self-generated images uh, are, are a thing. Uh, algorithms can make its own pictures. It can learn and change. And that's not run by a human. Yeah, a human may control the system or the apparatus, but there are artificially generated cultural things taking place right now that are not just made by a human. Uh, I disagree with that. There is this um, 10th symphony of, of Beethoven released recently. So it's just uses the patterns Beethoven used uh, in uh, his nine... Um, uh, nine other symphonies, right? And the, the tenth is done by the AI. So, who is actually the author of this um, well, of the tenth well, symphony? Still make the computers, men and women, still create the systems. I agree. But but it's not purely something innovative. So, so there, there's it just uses it, it. It means that we really don't need to innovate into di new digital tools. I didn't say that. I, no, I just, I'm just trying to get your line of reasoning to understand. No, my my line my line of reasoning is that if, if when you ask that that how do we research how do we research on on the digital life? What do you mean? So what what do you mean? Do you, do you mean that we research on what exactly? Can you can you give me an example of the existing digital life? I think it's about the scale. It, it, you could uh, you could interview a person, you could talk to a person and you could go through it at just talking to the two group of people, like a focus group. But the thing that's are happening is you could watch behaviors online and data science watches those behaviors that the where, what, and when happened and are making assumptions. And then new things are happening because of that at a rapid pace, but they're leaving out the why data. So what I'm saying is, yes, you could study it in an offline way, but you, you, it doesn't permeate at the speed that data science is creating data. And that's where there's an inherent bias by leaders to overly rely on what data science is generating. We're not advocating that computational ethnography is going to be better than ethnography. Not at all. At all are we saying it will be better. We're saying it's in addition. 
And I think we, we sometimes hit this where people think we're saying ethnography is failing or ethnography is not doing a good job or ethnography won't be as good as the digital version. We're not saying that at all. We're saying it's in addition because you need that scale. If I've got to try to measure something happening around the globe and I need to get an answer in three, in, in three hours, it's really hard to do an ethnographic study to get a precursor to why it's happening. It's very hard. But data science in three hours could give you when it's happening, where it's happening, predictive it's gonna happen again, but the leader doesn't get the why. There's no yeah. predictor of the why. So that's what we're advocating. Yes, but the, the, the difference between anthropology and, and data science or statistics is that statistics looks for a repetitive patterns and gives the equal significance to each element. And anthropology gives different meaning to each element, so not patterns are equal. And that's in the eye of the anthropologist, of the observer, mm -hmm. uh, what, what is significant. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is this is exactly what we want to explore, right? Mm -hmm. Like in the partnership. I think one of the things that are, we don't have the answers. What we need to do is start asking these questions and exploring where it goes, because yeah. these are the questions that are really important to better understand um, and say it, but we're coming at this as a way of saying, let's have these discussions. Yeah. Let's think about what that could be. Um, hey, can you put the slide up that shows data science and, and cause I'm going to ask Dominika something. And, and I think I, okay. I <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to this discussion okay, to be so big, but no, here now look at here. You're right, data science analyzes scale, right? Numbers and statistics. Imagine if a certain amount of data about observations, tone, silence, stories was available also on the left, so you could look at it at scale. So you could do your statistical analysis. How many felt fear? How many felt it like this? What was their indicators? So by taking and, and by taking the thick data and computationalizing it, you allow, yes, data science will do its work by grouping it, parsing it, noise from signal, and you get early warning. So you still need ethnography to go get this, but how do we get it in so that you can look at it at scale? I just want to make sure I know there's a couple people with their hands up. So I just want to make sure we, we get that covered. I know Marcus, do you want to jump in here? Sure. I mean, I, I really like the discussion because um, it shows one key element of, um, of, of what you try to achieve, I think, is that you are adding this thickness, right? Or contextuality or whatever you call it. And Laura said it's about sensory data and actually being there and embodying it. Um, Others, others say it's it's maybe about kind of the digital representations that we have online of our actual real world, if you call it like that, if you actually want to differentiate. Um, I think what, what we as anthropologists are good in and what differentiates us from a data scientist or a, statist, a statistician, for example, is that we actually bring in this contextual understanding, right? We are there, we understand the context and based on that, and our understanding of social theory, for example, we are able to interpret the data that we see. So when you say now, how can we digitally innovate to um, 
get this thickness onto otherwise, let's say, quantitative um, shallow data, the question that naturally arises, and this is exactly what we see in this discussion, is is the digital tool actually the solution to understand the thickness, or does it need the human to understand this thickness and be then able to interpret what the data means? And, and I think that's the, like a very, very difficult thing to solve and, and wrap your head around, especially yeah. when, when, when we anthropologists, um, and I, I would partly include myself for sure, I think we don't even know what big data actually is, what kind of data traces there are out there and what could be done with it, right? So I think I only know it because I did it in my master programs and, and I actually tried some sort of digital network and looked at it and tried to interpret what the knots mean and so on. But even that was really hard. So I think if you have not even had that experience so far, it's even harder to actually imagine um, how you could even digitally innovate that field when you have not, not, not a single touch point with it even. Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting point. And I mean, I think that's the thing that we need to, what we need to think about more, right? Is, is, is what does that look like? And where is the line between bringing a person in to work with that thick data and sort of how, how is it being coded and interpreted? Um, and, and I think also that we don't understand a lot around what's going on when we think about thick data at scale. What does that even mean, right? Um, I think it's an area um, for exploration. I see a couple hands up and I just want to make sure we get to everybody because I think what's great about this, it's raising lots of questions and to explore is exactly what we want to hear. So thank you so much for, for raising your hand. So I'm going to go back to, um, I see um, Terioska, is, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Sorry, if not, I. Uh, yes, but I think Simon was first. I don't know. Oh, if Simon, he... Sorry, Simon, go first. <laughs> No, Teriyoska, please. Um, I, I will follow suit. Thank you. Okay. Well, then, uh, well, I have been working. I'm sorry. Uh, are you going to talk? No, the floor is yours. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry, because I, I was distracted by noise over here. Yeah. Uh, well, I have been working with, I, I mean, as I'm as I'm an engineer, I have been working in the finance industry with big data. And that's very interesting because uh, big data is a cultural construction. Uh, itself, it, it, it's, it has a lot of biases. And also, uh, for instance, it's not something that it's kind of created like automatically. You just have to actually design in a piece of paper where all the data that you have to that you want to collect, if it's possible to collect, for instance, uh, in terms of payment services and the industry that I have worked in, uh, you have to uh, to kind of uh, think if, for instance, the hour of the of the transaction is is important or not. If it's feasible to actually know the the hour or the location and all these kind of things, so that's one of the uh, of the things that as an anthropological skill. Uh, it can be very uh, helpful, for instance, uh, for all these kind of things about uh, fraud protection or, and uh, when you actually do want to have a lot of data because you have to protect the customer, but also uh, you also have to think that uh, what about the, the privacy? 
of, of this customer. Like if, if this customer really wants to, for you to actually know that he's, I don't know, I'm going to say something stupid, like buying, buying porn or anything like that. So, and also there's a lot of biases. For instance, I have just encountered an article saying that uh, usually uh, we believe like people in the finance industry, we believe that maybe if there's someone old, like a old lady, let's say, she's not going to buy a, a port online, let's say. But what about if we are just acting in a biased uh, in a biased way, I mean, or in, with biases. I mean, that's really interesting because maybe we're protecting a lot of old ladies purchasing this kind of stuff, but what about the people who are actually doing that because they, they enjoy it? Mm. And that, that's really interesting because sometimes when you don't want to have biases, you actually are, I mean, sorry, when you are actually trying to protect also customers, you are also... Uh, uh, working with biases. So that's uh, that's interesting. So that's why uh, I, I would say that it's really important to have the anthropological skills uh, getting to the big data or, and that's it. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think it's a really interesting area of like the, the level of curiosity, the level of questions that you can ask in that interdisciplinary exchange can be so valuable to unearth potentially invisible blind spots, right, in this data and how it's being interpreted. I mean, and I think what's interesting is like, there's so many different ways that it can be involved, whether it's designing the tool to just having that creative collaboration that's really an ethical collaboration on some level, right, um, that can be really be beneficial. Um, Simon, I'm going to let you, you have your hand up still, so I'm going to let you jump in. I know we're short on time, everyone, so I think we can open it up. I just want to pause it, open it up. Simon, I'm going to let you go, but to general questions, because I want to make sure that we, we cover that um, as well. But Simon, um, you take mm -hmm. the lead. Just a very short statement. So what we see is an entanglement of two existential planes, both digital and uh, both the virtual and the, well, the physical. And mm -hmm. understanding these across disciplines actually uh, requires a new form of universality. So the transdisciplinary ideal seems more urgent than ever. And following up on the discussions in the chat, there could be an, um, that accessibility is a new obligation of politics and of policy. That's the only thing I wanted to comment upon. So it's a very brief thing that I just printed on. Okay, I, I, I'm so sorry. I'm a little bit behind on the chat because I'm terrible at multitasking. So I appreciate you raising that. Does um. Does anybody else want to weigh in or, or weigh in? If you've spoken on the chat, please, please jump into the conversation as well and forgive my lack of <laughs> multitasking. So, um, or Laura and um, uh, Marcus, if you want to highlight some things. There was a, uh, can you hear me? Yes. Um, there was a very interesting exchange uh, in the chat around sharing technology and, um, um, you know, the ethical implications of um, initiating something and introducing technology in places that were not there uh, already in the beginning. So I don't know if those of you who are part of that exchange in the chat wanted to, um, wanted to um, say something about that. Um, it's just an invitation because I do think that the question around um, the ethical implications of intervening 
mm -hmm. uh, are also very important, obviously. Um, so, does anybody want to weigh in? Or perhaps the moment is past. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Any sort of general questions around this? I think one of the things that we wanted to sort of clarify, like we're in the beginning, we're in an exploration question phase versus an answer phase, right? This is about trying to understand, bring people together to answer questions um, or to ask questions of each other and think about where we wanna go. So we would love any of your thoughts or questions around this, things that come top of mind. We're not gonna have all the answers, but I think it's really interesting to hear um, where your perspectives are um, before, yeah. For, for this time. I have one, but um, it's, uh, I wanted to wait if somebody else wants to jump in. If not, um, I'm gonna raise it. It's, it's, it's a tricky one, I think. Um, it's kind of leading back to stuff like Cambridge Analytica and what happened there, right? Because you're saying um, you want to make it open source, right? And that means that it could, let's say, let's, let's say you come up with a strong tool in the end after a few years, that's open source, um, or it's just a knowledge, I don't know, but, but how do we prevent also that this kind of understanding that we can create um, is used for the wrong reasons, right? Because you will understand so much with it potentially in the future and will potentially also be able to manipulate in a way that has happened in the past. Um, is something happening there on this front as well with the UNESCO collaboration? We, we definitely our topic. I, I think it's important that when we come together, we, we, we solve that. You know, I have some personal theories around it. You know, I think that there's going to need to be some technologies that uh, are developed that mean you don't have to put all the data together uh, to find out the analysis. I, I think it could be there needs to be some theories done around keeping the why data and the, the quantitative qualitative separated. Um, and, and you learn from it, but maybe your qualitative data always stays on your phone. I, mean, I think there's, we, we got to put out, postulate out there what are the key things. And that's why we want to solve it. It's not us solving it. It's putting all the smartest minds around the world together to solve it in an ethical way, in a way that reduces the chances of uh, nothing's impossible, but that really we tried to prevent it from being weaponized. We really looked at how do you make it difficult for it to get misused. And so for sure, 100% part of the initiatives is around the ethics and how do we build this and think about this as, as a science that, that looks at the, at the dark side of what could happen too, and, and think ahead about that. Cool. Thanks. Glad to hear. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Anyone else? I know I, I want to just applaud everyone who stayed on for the full 90 minutes. First of all, that is incredible. And, and thank you for your time. Um, and we're just so excited to start this conversation, start a collaborative discussion um, with everyone. Um, I'm going to feel free to jump in if you have any additional thoughts or questions or perspectives. Like to say just one thing, it would be super interesting to actually have like a data visualization tool because uh, I mean, one of the things that usually happens when there's presentations and everything is like when people see the 100, 80%, 30%, and I'm talking broad public, I'm not saying yeah. like specific public, but to whoever sees it and everyone gets like, oh, percentages, great. 
I'm going to pay attention to this because this is important. And then when you say like you have quotes of someone, everyone is like looking, okay, now I have to read this. So it would be super interesting to actually find a tool that could give us like what supposedly data science has as data visualization tools. So this is just- That is one of the big initiatives. We think that some of the reason data science has accelerated is the technologies around visualization capabilities. That same data in Excel sheet, a business leader is not going to read it either. They're just not going to read it. But if it shows up in some beautiful graphs and you can clearly see the indicator, you know what? I can make application of that rapidly. And some of these reports that come out of the scientific field are, are very challenging to, to digest and to, to make impact quickly. And so they get ignored or not read. So data visualization for qualitative sciences, I think is going to be essential as a key component for this to have a success at scale. Great, great point. And I, I'm just, I see a, a new question on the chat. I've caught up a little bit. Um, and Carolyn has said, do you think sometimes the quantified data overshadows the importance of context? What about keeping the humanity in human interest issues? Um, I think, obviously, I, I do think that quantified data is overshadowing context. That's exactly what, in my mind, is missing. And I think to the point um, Silvana just made, I think sometimes people don't value the level of context to the same level um, and aren't taking the time to interpret it and, and integrate it into decision-making at the same speed. And so what we need to do from an ethical perspective is bring both of those seats at the table um, for that. So James, I see you're about to, to oh yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, I think that that's really important if I understood your question correctly. Um, so anything else? Um, oh, I see one more question. I know we have, we're two minutes away everyone. So um, from Marissa, about ethics and my question is on the other hand, what happens if the process is developed by other minds and to ethically avoid this bad use is avoided to foresee it? Um, I'm not sure I completely understand the question. I'm so sorry, because I'm reading live. Marissa, are you still on the call? Do you mind bringing yeah. it up? Yeah, I'm not an anthropologist, I'm an architect. And I'm curious because many things are happening right now. And I'm totally agree about the worry. If you develop a tool that yeah. is out of the control. But my question yeah. is the other. What if other people are developing this tool and we are doing nothing to prevent well, yeah, no, that? I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Someone's gonna do this. It's too important right. to solve getting Y data faster. So why not this community doing it? Why not this scientific? Why not making it? Because what, if someone does it by themselves, they're gonna keep that for their own financial advantage. Think of Linux. Think of how Linux was created and gifted out and it democratized that tech and let other people, obviously they build it themselves. But Linux is probably a, a reality of what we're talking about here. We, we need this kind of text to be like a Linux. Get it out there, it's, community put it out there, give everybody that advantage of using these tools. There'll be an economy, there'll be businesses that take it and make it look prettier and work easier and this button does it, this one doesn't. But that's normal and, and let that economy grow. It creates jobs, it creates opportunity. But we got to get that seed of it started in the right direction where ethics were thought about, where you did uh, enable it designed by anthropologists for anthropologists. 
and kind of like a Linux style, um, what, what, we're, what we're thinking. Yeah, for me, sorry, again, for me, one thing is freaking me out is this metaverse things, you know? I'm, I'm working in the, more in the office now, in the world, world of office, and everything is running crazy. And what we see is the lack of humanity, and we are all paying of that. And now we want to develop a metaverse, and no one is caring. And I see like, what happened here? Right. Where are the anthropologists? Yeah, where are they? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good point. Well, we are one minute over time, and I want to be thoughtful to everybody's time on this. So I don't know if we want to hand it back over to um, Laura and um, uh, Marcus to, to close it out. Well, I think um, I think it's um, we've had a, a fantastic um, exchange and very vibrant one, and uh, it's a testament to uh, just how important uh, both the leave endeavor is and the conversations uh, and the thought leadership that you are um, starting. Um, the fact that we, you know, usually there's a towards the end of those calls, there's very few people left, but we're a steady, solid 30 people. Um, and I think that if we stayed on the call, there would be a lot more to say. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's, it's um, the good news is that we will be continuing some of those conversations, um, if not all of them, and perhaps adding yet other dimensions uh, to them in Apply Club Digi. Um, so I'm gonna just tease that a little bit. I'm not gonna reveal too much, but uh, keep an eye on that space. Um, James and Katie, thank you so much for the for the really provocative, really important uh, um, uh, impulse uh, that that you've given us. Um, really happy to see the crowd so engaged. Um, again, I'm really excited to see how these conversations develop and, and um, how they come to materialize in the world as well, right? Um, eventually down the road so that they're not just uh, conversations um, in, um, in a Zoom call. Um, all right, so um, my, I've been kicked out of this call three times. At a, for those of you who've noticed, I'm sorry. Um, I barely see anyone uh, because of for whatever freak reason. So I'm just gonna turn over to Marcus for, for a couple of final, final words and I'm gonna thank you again. And I will, um, I hope to see you guys soon. Yeah, thanks uh, also from my side. Thanks Katie, thanks James for an amazing talk. Um, very fascinating, I've heard it uh, or similar already before um, but it's it's very interesting to keep following you guys on on how this is actually moving forward um, i'm very much looking forward to see what's happening next and there also just a shout out to everyone um, you know if you have other thoughts um, keep working in those open source documents i think it's going to be highly appreciated um, if you want to stay in touch with the entire collaboration the initiative keep keep reaching out to us or directly to katie and james um, I guess, um, do you have their email address or do you want to post it again maybe? Yes, and I'll post our website in the um, chat. If you want to sign up to live.org, um, we will give uh, updates and on the project and we'll be 
soon hosting sort of open conversations every week where we're trying to bring a collective conversation together. So it might be a great point to continue that. So please go to live.org um, and, and sign up with us and we look forward to continuing the conversation. Great. Um, I just I just uh, wanted to keep also the, the thought of maybe we, we want to have a, a next impulse around the metaverse because it's a very urgent topic popping up everywhere. And I think we would we would be good to have a conversation around it. So maybe that's also something where the entire collaboration can come into the picture again. Um, all right. Any final words from from you, James or Katie? No, just uh, thank you for everyone's uh, time and attention. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Have a great evening Bye. or Thanks rest everyone. of the day. Enjoy the rest of the day. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for watching or listening. And don't miss the next episode of IASA's Applied Anthropology Network's Apply Club events.